Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and this week I am joined by my man, Matt Barr, the co-host of the 4th and Gold podcast. And Matt, it's hard to believe the 2019 NFL regular season has only three weeks left, but boy, did we get a potential prequel of how dynamic the playoffs could be this season with that epic game between the Saints and your 49ers last week, didn't we? That was a fun one, and I think it only cost me about eight years off my life uh, as, I, <laughs> as I stressed through it. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was a good game. Um, I thought we saw a lot from both teams, and I mean, really, if that's the kind of playoff football we're going to see this year, this is going to be a fun one. Oh, it absolutely is. And uh, before we talk about the playoffs, uh, we got to talk about our Week 14 takeaways. So what was your main takeaway from Week 14? Well, I, you know, I'm a Niners guy, so I got to start with it. Um, I think the Niners coming out and beating the Saints in New Orleans, you know, they, they went through that gauntlet, the hardest three-game stretch in the history of the NFL. They played three teams that had an 800 or better win percentage that late in the year, and they went 2-1. and one. You know, they lose to the Ravens, but they, they beat down on the Packers, and then they go into New Orleans and they win. I think that's huge. They retake first place in the NFC, and they're in the driver's seat moving forward. Oh, they most certainly are, and I think uh, that victory over the Saints was an absolute statement that says we are the team to beat the NFC right now. I think it's absolutely true because everyone else was thinking, you know, Seattle might be the team to beat. And then you saw them go into L.A. and kind of lay an egg on Sunday Night Football against the Rams. Uh, Russell Wilson, for the first time all year, failed to throw a touchdown pass. The Rams defense hasn't been super great this year. And to to watch Russell Wilson really struggle against them, uh, I understand division game. Division games can be all sorts of wonky. But, you know, I think that was a big statement for the 49ers and the Seahawks because they kind of came out. Like I said, they laid an egg. Oh, most definitely. And when you look at the Niners uh, and their two losses, both were by a last-second field goal. So that tells you how great this 49ers team is and can be. Yeah, they really can be. Um, it really all matters about them putting it together all at once. Um, I think when you saw them lose to the, to um, to Seattle and lose to Baltimore, you saw little parts of their game not quite step up to to the, to the challenge. And, you know, in the playoffs, you only get one shot, right? So you, any, any, any given Sunday becomes very real once the playoffs hit. It most certainly does. And my main week 14 takeaway is this. It is arguably the gravest injustice in the history of the National Football League that a 12-win team, either the Seahawks or your 49ers, will have to go on the road for a playoff game against a 7- or 8-win team in the Eagles or Cowboys. And even worse, the NFL hasn't even considered reforming this flawed playoff seeding system, which allows a division winner a home game. You allow division winners a ticket to the playoffs. Don't award them another bonus point with a home game. Go by records. What are you waiting for, NFL? I am right there with you, man. I, I think that winning your division should, should give you a chance to get into the playoffs. But after that, it's all based on record. It's all based on tiebreaker. And from there, you know, you're going to seed it exactly that way, right? One through six, best record's going to be one, worst record's going to be six, and let's go. Oh, and uh, our good friend Vic Fangio today kind of took that a little step further, saying that he doesn't think there should be any more divisions in the NFL. He thinks every team in every conference should play each other once a year. What do you think of that? I like the division games. I, I like the rivalries that build up, and I, I think you get some special matchups. And I think, I think games will start to lose a lot of their umph. Um, you know, you look at games like like Philly and Dallas. It's a really, really big rivalry game. Um, you know, D- Oakland and Kansas City. Just some of these teams have so much history together. I think it's really hard to kind of to break those apart and just say, hey, you're just going to play everybody once. That just feels a little 
a little stilted and and I like the rivalries, man. I I like the idea of divisions. I I I can't I can't get past that. I actually agree with you there. Um, I love Vic Fangio, but I'm going to have to disagree with him there as well. Uh, the rivalry games are part of what makes the NFL so great year after year after year, and those rivalry games are within your division, so there's mm-hmm. no reason to disrupt that at all. But at the same time, I, I can kind of see where he's heading uh, with, with that frame of thought, that if you win your division, you shouldn't be given another bonus point to have a whole playoff game, and I totally believe he agrees, he agrees with us there based on what he said today. Yeah, he has to agree with us at that point. Um, and, and the other thing with divisions, I like the way the schedule has, is put together, right? 16 game schedule. You're going to play six division games. You're going to play one full NFC conference, one full AFC conference. And depending on whether you're the NFC or AFC, you're going to play the other two teams from the divisions that you didn't play, right? Absolutely. And there it's based on your record, right? So if you're, if you're the last place team, you're going to play other last place teams. That attributes a lot to the parity in the NFL. That's what allows teams to go from from worst to first because their schedule is seemingly easier the next year. And then, you know, you win a division, then you get tested the next year. I, I like the way the, the schedule is set up with the 16 games. Uh, same here. And if they do go to 17, as has been proposed uh, with the new collective bargaining agreement, which will hopefully be on its way before March of uh, 2021, if you do go to 17 games, put another buy in there to make it work. Absolutely. If, if you're going to put another game, you have to find another way to put a bye week in there. Indeed. And now we go to our favorite game, truth or exaggeration. And you obviously know how this one goes. And we start with the Patriots, who should be docked another first-round draft pick for being caught in an incident that is now widely being coined as Spygate 2.0. Truth or exaggeration? It's got to be a truth. Like, there's, 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 they're repeat offenders, right? When you have a, when you have a player that has repeat offending hits or, or, or arrests or whatever it is, the, 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 Penalties get you know more and more severe as you go along. You look at Vontez Perfect, right? Suspended for the whole year for a hit. Look, the Patriots have done this before. They had Deflategate. They had Spygate. Now we're on Spygate 2.0. They're repeat offenders. They need to. It needs to be cracked down on because they can't just allow this franchise to kind of look like they're above the law and look like Roger or Robert Kraft is is buddy buddy with Roger Goodell. You can't have that. I really think they should be fined and docked another first round pick. If the investigation uh, justifies the reporting from the Bengal side of things, I would have to agree with you because, uh, first of all, this does not delegitimize the greatness of the Patriots with Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And this is, in all things, a minor offense. But for repeat minor offenses, you have to hold them accountable and dock them mm-hmm. a first-round pick. Heck, it won't matter as long as Bill Belichick is in charge because uh, he knows how to build a team better than any other coach. So he, he, it's something that he'll be able to live with at the end of the day. Yeah, and it's it just comes down to the repeat offender thing. You're right. It's kind of a small infraction, and it's just the Bengals, right? You know, it's one of the worst teams in football. The Patriots are, are continually one of the best teams in football. But it's the repeat offense. It, it's the idea that this this franchise seemingly thinks they're above the law, and I think the NFL really needs to crack down on them. Completely agree. And we go to Denver, where barring an absolute implosion, a total implosion over these final three weeks, the Broncos must plan – on seeking or swimming with Drew Locke as their unquestioned starting quarterback in 2020. Truth or exaggeration? I think it's a truth, right? I think you're forever going to pair Drew Locke with Vic Fangio in Denver. It's going to be one of those rookie coach, rookie rookie quarterback situations. Drew Locke has played well the last two weeks. Let's not mistake that. They blew out the Texans. Now, I know the score was 38-24, but it was a lot worse at halftime. 
the Texans scored a couple touchdowns to make that game look a lot closer than it was. Drew Locke's playing well, and I think you got to roll with him. I think he's the guy. You know Joe Flacco's not the answer. They know he's not the answer. Look, John Elway has a terrible track record of going out and getting a new quarterback every year. He finally needs to just suck it up and stick with one guy, sink or swim with Drew Locke, give him another offseason, surround him with some weapons, and let's see what the kid can do. Oh, I completely agree. And uh, worst case scenario, if he totally bombs in 2020, uh, use whatever ammo you have to go off and draft Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, it's going to be there, right? There's going to be guys that are going to be coming out in two years that that you can you can kind of not necessarily blow it up, but you can restart with. But you got to find out what you have in-house first. You can't just keep trying to get a new quarterback every year. It's never going to work. You're never going to get the the returns on on consistency from the position. Absolutely, and from what I hear, that is their plan, to seek or swim with Drew Locke in 2020, especially since uh, it was reported that Rich Scangarello will be returning as offensive coordinator next year, and I think that bodes well for Locke's chances of being the unquestioned man in 2020 in Denver. It does, and Scangarello's a Shanahan guy, right? He was yeah. the quarterback's coach in San Francisco, and he's kind of taken over there. A lot of the same verbiage is why Emmanuel Sanders was able to come over and, you know, come over to San Francisco and, and play so well right away because it's it's a very similar offense. And, and look, that's a tough offense to learn. It's very verbiage heavy. There's a lot of there's a lot of different things that go into it, right? It's very scheme heavy. You gotta give a rookie quarterback especially more time in that system to see what he can do. Most definitely. And we go to the New York Jets and it was reported by Ralph Vacciano who covers that team for SNY that they are going to shop Jamal Adams again in this offseason. But in my opinion the Jets should not trade Jamal Adams unless they get a first-round pick, a third- or fourth-round pick, and an equally talented player in return. Truth or exaggeration? It's got to be a truth. I don't know why you would want to trade Jamal Adams at all. I don't understand this. The Jets seem to be playing ping-pong with this, right? They said, oh, we're not trading him, and then they told him in a private meeting that we're not going to trade you, and then it was reported that he was being looked to be dealt at the trade deadline. Jamal Adams is a kind of player you can build your secondary around, right? He's so versatile. He can play over the top. He can play in the box. He can cover guys. He's a fantastic player. I do not understand their need to trade Jamal Adams. Adam Gase is doing the exact same thing he did in Miami where he wants his specific guys and he's going to move whoever he has to move to go get those guys. And you you can't do that. You can't be trading cornerstones of a franchise just because the head coach comes in, he's new because in all likelihood Gase is going to be gone next year, right? You know, he might, he may have survived this year, but there's a decent chance he doesn't survive next year. And then what? Then you're hitting the reset button all over again because you caved to your head coach and then you fired him. You can't do that. Jamal Adams matters more to the Jets than Adam Gase does. You can't trade him. Oh, my God. The owner of that team, uh, the Johnsons, to be specific, uh, they're just slightly better than Daniel Snyder and almost just as bad as Daniel Snyder. This is one of the worst-run teams in the NFL, and they couldn't have picked a worse head coach for the development of Sam Darnold in Adam Gase. And, like, they were this close to hiring Matt Rule from Baylor, who has turned that program around overnight after the Art Bryles saga, and... But they wouldn't hire him because he wanted to hire his own staff. What a clown show that franchise is. I can't, I, that's why I keep uh, retweeting all these jet stories with the clown emojis. <laughs> yeah, it's – look, there's certain teams – bad teams stay bad for, for the same reasons. 
Owners that can't keep their hands out of the cookie jar generally don't do well as franchises. You might have a year here, a year there where they all kind of puts it together, but it's not sustainable success. And if the Jets are going to choose Adam Gase over their premier players, they deserve whatever they're going to get. Absolutely, because it's been proven that Adam Gase is not a good head coach. Heck, look at what Ryan Tannehill's doing right now that he did not do under Adam Gase. Hello? Yeah, I saw a really funny thing that said, you know, the, the Dolphins are tanking this year. But, you know, imagine if they had somebody like Ryan Tannehill. They'd be a pretty good team. Oh, they absolutely would, especially with the outstanding job Brian Flores has been doing with that undermanned team this year. Absolutely. Miami's fighting. Miami is not. They, now, look, the ownership might want to tank. The front office might want to tank. But Miami players and coaching staff are out there to play every week. They're hanging much tougher now than they were early on in the season. And I think that comes from such a, a, a difference in, in talent level. You know, early on in the season, you're – you're so under-talented that, that better teams are just going to kind of steamroll you. But now you've had a chance to gel together and, and build a little bit of a young core. They're starting to play pretty well. Well, they most certainly are. And we go to another story. Our common friend, Benjamin Albright, who now works for the Pro Football Network, reported that the Los Angeles Chargers, in the event that Phillip Rivers retires or departs in free agency, will be looking to acquire a veteran quarterback and not address quarterback early in the 2019 NFL draft. But here's what I think. I think that's a bad idea. So if Phillip Rivers retires or departs at free agency, the Chargers must draft a quarterback in the first round in the event the right one is there. Truth or exaggeration? It's truth, but under the caveat, like you said, that the right one is there. They can't go reaching for a position just because it's a position of need, right? Agreed. If you don't, yeah. fi- if you don't find your guy, you suck it up. You're going you're gonna, to, you know— Middle middle through the season with with a veteran kind of stopgap kind of guy, a Case Keenum kind of guy. That's fine. You can get someone like that in there, and you can move forward until you can find a time to the right time to go in the first round and draft that guy. And like you said, there's some quarterbacks for 2021 as well. They don't necessarily need to go all in on a quarterback this year. Now this year's quarterback class seems like it's going to be pretty top heavy, but the Chargers are are looking at drafting kind of towards the middle of the first round, right? So they're going to be somewhere between the 9 and, and 16 range-ish, depending on how their season finishes. That's not going to be there to get a top-tier guy. So you either have to give up a giant haul to move forward to get, you know, a Tua or, or a Joe Burrow or a, or Justin Herbert, whoever else you might want to go up and get. But is it worth it to do that when you have so many holes on the roster? I don't know. So I'm going to say truth that they have to wait they should they should draft a quarterback, but only if only if the right guy is there when they pick. Oh, I absolutely agree, especially with this uh, offensive line class and the holes they have with their offensive line. That is something they should really consider as well. But it was also included in that report that they are a team to watch as a potential trading partner for the Panthers with regards to Cam Newton. So if you're the Chargers, uh, would you trade Cam Newton for Cam Newton if the right, price is right? I don't know. Cam Newton's body is really kind of just it's fighting him. It's fighting him. I don't want to say he's done, but Cam Newton came in the league and he spent the first couple of years just kind of running over linebackers, right? It wasn't his style to go out of bounds. It wasn't his style to slide. It's his style to fight for more yards. The problem with that is after you take so many hits and so many hits and so many hits, your body starts to degrade a little bit, and and especially his shoulder. And shoulder issues are obviously a much bigger deal for quarterbacks than they are for, say, a running back. You know, a running back has a shoulder issue. They can kind of fight through it. They can carry the ball on the other hand. They can do whatever they need to do. But a quarterback that can't throw is, is is tough. I know Carolina's looking to move on from him. If you can get him for the right price, it's not a bad stopgap. It's not a bad two, three-year plan to bring in Cam Newton. He was the MVP of this league. 
He has been very good. He did lead the Carolina Panthers to a Super Bowl. I don't know if his body is going to allow him to get back to that level, but you could do you could do so much worse than bringing Cam Newton. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Philip Rivers does and what the Chargers do in the weeks and months ahead. And also from our good friend Benjamin Albright, the Atlanta Falcons are apparently zeroing in on Josh McDaniels as a top candidate for their soon-to-be vacant head coaching position. And say Thomas Dimitrov, who worked with the Patriots and Josh McDaniels before he went to Atlanta, if he is retained as Falcons general manager, that will be enough to get Josh McDaniels to leave New England this time to become the Falcons head coach. Truth or exaggeration? Man, that's tough. That's real tough. I'm going to go truth, but it's going to come down to this. Josh McDaniels turned down the Indianapolis job, right? Yeah. Turned it down, went back to New England. That was tough for him to do. You know, he said yes, and at the last second, he backed out. The amount of talent he would be acquiring, you know, by leaving New England, whose offense is struggling because they don't have the weapons on the outside. He would be trading Mohamed Sanu, going to his former team, getting Julio Jones, getting Calvin Ridley, getting Matt Ryan, getting Devonta Freeman, getting a loaded talent core on offense. And I think he could do a lot with that, with that with that team. We saw what Kyle Shanahan was able to do with that offense. Man, I would like to see the Falcons get an offensive head coach again because they are just squandering so much talent on that side of the ball. Well, they most certainly are, and it will be very interesting to see who they end up hiring. And now we go to Cleveland, where the Browns, amidst uh, the report from Jake Glazer that Odell Beckham Jr. wants out, and he's been telling other teams, uh, call me, come get me. And Baker Mayfield throwing the medical staff under the bus after this week's win are such a mess and have absolutely zero culture and a very unclear sense of direction. They should fire both head coach Freddie Kitchens and general manager John Dorsey after this season. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going to say exaggeration. I don't think you should fire John Dorsey. I do think Freddie Kitchens should be gone. I think you need a more experienced head coach to come in there and corral that young team. You're not going to get... You're not going to be able to build a culture around a super young guy that hasn't been in that situation before. It hasn't doesn't have that experience in him, doesn't have that super big leadership to him. I don't think Freddie Kitchens was the right guy. I think they kind of let Baker Mayfield kind of sway who he wanted to play for. And, you know, they went out and they were more concerned with acquiring talent than acquiring pieces, if that makes sense. Uh, John Dorsey has done a pretty good job drafting. I have to give him that. He's had a pretty good job drafting. I think you got to retain a guy that can draft like that because there's plenty of GMs that would love to have the track record in the draft that John Dorsey does. So I think they should move on from Freddie Kitchens but retain John Dorsey and get someone that's a little bit more seasoned and has had head coaching experience before to come in and helm this team. Looking at you, Ron Rivera, we talked about this last week that the Browns could be the most ideal landing spot for Ron Rivera. Yeah, absolutely. They got a young defense. You know, I think if he can bring a smart offensive mind with him to kind of get that offense clicking and and find a way, if they do manage to retain Odell Beckham, which I don't think they will, if they do manage to retain him, find a way to get an offense built around him. Right? Odell Beckham is one of the special talents that you want to force feed the ball to. If he has eight, nine, ten targets a game, you're much happier than when he's playing these games where he only has four targets. You have to design plays specifically to get him the ball, get him get the ball in his hands. If Rivera can come in and bring an offensive guy that can do that, the Browns could be the team that everybody kind of thought they were going to be. Oh, absolutely. But uh, look on the bright side. Uh, 
if they think that Odell Beckham Jr. is too much of a head case and uh, trade him away, he got this amazing wide receiver class in 2020, and you could get one of those wide receivers uh, in the first round to take Odell Beckham Jr.'s place, and it'll likely be a guy without the baggage he brings. Absolutely, and you'd be offloading a lot of contract. Now, I know you'd be eating a little bit of it, right? Because anytime you trade a guy with a contract that big, you're going to have a dead cap hit. Um, but the Browns are in a pretty good cap situation where they could swallow that, move him for a first-round pick, because you're going to get at least a first-rounder for him. I mean, it's Odell Beckham. And, and like you said, if they can go get one of these top-tier wide receiver talents, get him on a cheap rookie contract with a fifth-year option, they could be cooking with gas. They most certainly could. And last but not least, we go back to Music City where Ryan Tannehill deserves serious MVP consideration if the Titans go on to win the AFC South and or mount a deep playoff run. Truth or exaggeration? Exaggeration. Look, I like what Tannehill's doing. I do. I think he's been very good. You know, a couple weeks ago we were talking, do, do should the Titans give him a, a, a legitimate shot next year? And I said truth to that. I maintain that. I say that's the truth. They should definitely bring him back next year. I think they found their quarterback. I don't think he's the MVP. I don't. Look, you got guys like now that now Russell Wilson had a down week. Lamar Jackson had kind of an iffy two weeks going up against two top tier defenses. Ryan Tannehill, great job. He's not in the MVP race. It's Lamar Jackson one, and then at like three, it's Russell Wilson and then everybody else. That is a very fair point. And speaking of the Tennessee Titans, that brings us to one of our two games of the week as the Tennessee Titans at 8-5 and five host the Houston Texans as 8-5. and five. Both teams are tied for first in the AFC South headed to Week 15, and they play each other two times in the final three weeks. Get your popcorn ready. This is going to be a race to the finish between these two teams. And when you look at this uh, game right here, I can see this game going a variety of ways because it's a division game. And the talent both of these teams have on offense. So do you anticipate this game being a shootout, an unexpected defensive struggle, or somewhere in between? I'm going to lean towards shootout. Somewhere between shootout and somewhere in between, right? Um, uh, It depends on which Texans team shows up. Are we going to see the Texans team that just absolutely blasted the Patriots show up? Or are we going to see the team last week that just came out and just couldn't get it done against the Denver Broncos. I'm I'm giving the Titans the edge in this one just because they are at home, and this is the biggest game the Titans have played in, in, in quite some time. I know they were a playoff team you know, a couple years ago, and, and they've, they've had some playoff experience, but this finally feels like the Titans have everything together, and they're not just kind of coasting through the division and surviving the division and playing a game. finally feels like they have all the pieces there, and they're ready to mount a deep playoff run. Look, the AFC is wide open right now. It's wide open. Other than Baltimore, you know, the Texans have shown a lot of cracks. The Patriots are obviously struggling. The Chiefs, you know, even with even with Mahomes coming back, they're not perfect. AFC could be wide open to to be, you know, who plays who plays Baltimore in the AFC championship game. Oh, it most certainly could. And uh it wouldn't be surprising to see either one of these teams be that team uh, at the end of the day. And let's look at some of the X factors for each team. And my X factor for the Texans is Will Fuller. Uh, you can talk about how bad the Texans defense played last week, and but uh, they sorely missed Will Fuller on offense. Will Fuller opens up that playbook in a very underappreciated way. Like his speed alone uh, uh, tells defenses that you can't uh, commit every single defender to DeAndre Hopkins. You have to uh, even double Will Fuller 
and, and try doubling DeAndre Hopkins, and the odds are Hopkins is going to find a way to get open against double coverage. But with Will Fuller there, who t could take the top off of defenses, unlike DeAndre Hopkins, uh, that just adds an entirely different dimension to this Texas offense that they carry play. So if Will Fuller plays this week, uh, he is my X factor for Houston. And my X factor for Tennessee, how about that rookie, A.J. Brown from Ole Miss? He has turned into the alpha dog in that wide receiver core. Uh, they drafted Corey Davis at five overall a couple years ago, and A.J. Brown slid to their lap uh, at 52 overall this past year. And A.J. Brown is becoming Ryan Tannehill's go-to guy, and he is a threat to take the ball to the house every time he touches it, man. I don't know why A.J. Brown fell. He is like the X factor for that offense right now, in my opinion. Who are your X factors for both teams, Matt? Well, I'm going to agree with you in Tennessee. I think it is A.J. Brown. And we talk a lot about what, what this wide receiver class for 2020 might be. But I think we need to shine a little bit of light on what the 2019 draft class is for wide receivers. There are a ton of really good rookie wide receivers that were taken a lot later than they should have been just because that whole class kind of took a giant shift, like a giant step back, right? None of them were drafted super high. You're looking at guys like DK Metcalf putting together a good year in Seattle, Debo Samuel, uh, Terry McLaurin, AJ, AJ Brown. There's a ton of guys, ton of guys putting together really good rookie seasons as wide receivers. Um, I'm going to stick with AJ Brown. You know, I, I think that's the guy. And it, he, like you said, when he, every time he touches, he's a threat to take it to the house. Uh, he opens up so much. He opens up so much. Just his threat of, of the deep play opens it up for Derrick Henry, who is just a monster of a running back. And, and he thrives down the stretch, right? Once, once defenses are tired and they've played 12, 13 games, that's when Derrick Henry starts to thrive. Um, so I'm going to stick with A.J. Brown because of what he opens up for the team. Now, for the Texans, it really comes down to Deshaun Watson. That's who it comes down to. Which Deshaun Watson are we going to get? Are we going to get good Deshaun, bad Deshaun? Like you said, if Will Fuller, Will Fuller plays, that's going to be huge for them because he is such a, an elite weapon on the outside, just stretching the field. Hopkins, one of the top five wide receivers in the NFL, having kind of a down year. He needs a little bit of help to get open. But really, it comes down to Watson. Can he make the right reads? Can he make the right decisions? And can he keep them in the game early so they're not just playing from behind and playing catch-up the whole game? You said it. And now let's talk about some key matchups in this game. And I see two of them up front as far as the Texans' offensive Titans' defense are concerned. Uh a couple weeks ago, the Texans put rookie right tackle Titus Howard on injured reserve, and his replacement is veteran journeyman Chris Clark. And I know Chris Clark very well because he was the starting left tackle for the vast majority of that 2013 Broncos season, which they made it to the Super Bowl and got killed uh, by the Seahawks. And Chris Clark is an immense liability at pass protection, flat-footed and a very slow decision maker, and he is going up against one of the most underrated second-year pass rushers in the NFL in Harold Landry. Harold Landry has put together an amazing uh, second season for the Tennessee Titans, and if uh, he can't keep uh, Harold Landry off of Deshaun Watson's back, it's going to be a long day, but he's not the only threat uh, on that Titans front. You also got rookie Jeffrey Simmons from Mississippi State, a guy who would have been a top five pick had it not been for his ACL tear uh, in February, man. And he's going up against a very flawed Texans interior uh, offensive line. So if you can't handle those two guys, it's Deshaun Watson's in big trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to flip to the other side of the ball. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Derrick Henry, right? Derrick Henry against the Texans defensive line just because he can run through tackles and you don't want him getting to the second and third level because that's when he's so dangerous so dangerous to just run through linebackers and run over safeties and run right 
like just through the chest of corners. Can the Texans defensive line keep Derrick Henry contained and, and, and at least slow him up enough so he doesn't hit the second and third level at full head of steam? Uh, you most certainly said it. And uh, who do you have winning this game on Sunday in Music City? Uh, like I said, I'm leaning Tennessee just because they're at home. Home home division games, you know, I almost always, unless unless the talent level is just so, so far depart, I really toward, tend to lean towards the home team. I'm taking the Titans in a close one. There's our simpatico alert, and I agree with you. It's going to be a very, very close game. It's in the division. It's for the division lead uh, headed into the final two weeks of the season. And uh, if it was in Houston, I would go with the Texans. But since it's in Tennessee, I'm going Titans 27, Texans 24. And for our other game of the week is the Sunday night game as the Buffalo Bills travel to Pittsburgh to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers and the new Steel Curtain. And if you like defense... This is your game. This has defensive struggle, low-scoring game written all over it. And will it surprise you to see both offenses, dare I say, to have a somewhat conservative game plan to try to not turn the ball over and win the field position battle, especially early in the first half? I absolutely think they will. Buffalo comes in with a pretty good running game, right? Between Devin Singletary and Frank Gore, they, they can run the ball pretty well. Josh Allen can run the ball himself. I expect them to try and keep it on the ground, and it's because a guy lurking in the secondary for Pittsburgh. Minka Fitzpatrick. He has come on and made all the difference to that Steelers defense. And I think they're going to try and keep the ball away from him as much as possible. Josh Allen, not the most accurate quarterback in the league. Everybody knows this. Minka Fitzpatrick thrives on inaccurate passes. And I think they're going to try and keep the ball away from him. The Steelers, the Bills defense is also very, very good. Very good. They have some a very, you know, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, some very good safeties there. Ball Hawks, they don't want to put Duck Hodges in a situation where he's going to be forced to throw the ball downfield. Sounds like Juju Smith-Schuster might be back this week. James Conner still iffy. I still think, yeah, like you said, conservative, 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 especially in the first half. I think it's going to be a very low-scoring first half, and I think they're going to open it up a little bit in the second. I agree, but I still think it will be a low-scoring game, and we're definitely on the same page here. I think uh, the quarterback duel between Josh Allen and uh, Duck Hodges is going to essentially be a game of don't turn the ball over between those two as opposed to score a lot of points. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, when when Mike Tomlin named Duck Hodges the the starting quarterback, he basically said that he doesn't turn the ball over like Mason Rudolph did. And, 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 And Duck has done a very good job of that. These past couple weeks when, when leading what seemed like a dead Steelers team back from the grave, back from the dead, they are back and they, they, they're right in the thick of this. I mean, this is a huge game because the whole AFC, like I said, it's a muddled picture. The Bills come in with a one game lead over the Steelers. If they if they lose and they become tied, Buffalo could be a six seed all of a sudden. Right. right. So, so Buffalo, very, very important for them to come out and win this game because they're also still right there with the Patriots. They're only one game behind the Patriots, and, and they still play the Patriots in New England one more time this year. They do, and that will be one of the three Saturday games of a Week 16. And uh, let's stay with the Steelers defense for a moment. This was the most jaw-dropping stat I read this week. The Steelers lead the NFL in sacks with 48 and takeaways from 33. And strike shortened seasons excluded, according to Chris Wessling of NFL.com. The only previous team in the Super Bowl era to finish first outright in both categories— you know what it was? 
1974 it, Steel Curtain. That's who mm. it was. Oh, my God. I don't call the new Steel Curtain for nothing. The Steel Curtain is definitely back uh, in Pittsburgh. And when you look at X-Factors for each team in this game, uh, who do you have for the Steelers and who do you have for the Bills? Uh, for, the, for the Steelers, it's T.J. Watt, right? He leads the team with 12 and a half sacks. He comes in. He's every bit of the, as good of a player as his brother is. And if he can get in and disrupt, disrupt Josh Allen, get him off his beat, and wrap Josh Allen up, not a very easy thing to do. Josh Allen's a really big, strong quarterback. So if he can get in there and he can he can be that guy, I think he can come in and be the difference maker for the Steelers. When you look at the Bills, it's Cole Beasley. The offense, when he's humming, the offense is humming, right? Now, I know you can say what you want about Josh Allen. Him and Cole Beasley have a pretty good connection, and he can be that safety blanket for Josh Allen coming out of the slot. I think if he can get going and he can he can put together some key third-down catches to keep drives alive, keep the Buffalo's defense rested, I think if that can be the difference in the game. Oh, most certainly could, and uh, those are two good X factors for each of those teams, but here are mine, and for each case, it's looky-looky, here's a rookie. For the Bills, it is Devin Singletary. If there is a weak spot in that Steelers defense, it is their linebackers and coverage. Even Devin Bush, as athletic as he is, he has absolutely been atrocious in coverage for a lot of the times this season. And another guy that they can exploit there, outside of Cole Beasley, is Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary has home run speed, whether you give him the ball up the gut or throw Tim out of the backfield. Given how stout that Steelers front is, I think it's best to uh, split him out in the slot for some plays and uh, get him matched up on one of their two linebackers and uh, make some plays in space. So Devin Singletary is my X-Factor for the Bills. And for the Steelers, yes, Juju Smith-Schuster is looking to come back, but look no further than their rookie Deontay Johnson, who absolutely exploded last week against Arizona and has flashed numerous times this season. No team in the NFL scouts wide receivers better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they drafted Deontay Johnson in the third round from Toledo, and the last guy they drafted from a max school was somebody named Antonio Brown. And Deontay Johnson kind of looks like a young Antonio Brown. He is making plays whenever he touches the ball, whether it's in the return game, on reverses, or getting open on a route, man. Deontay Johnson is turning into a do-it-all stud for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if there is one guy Duck Hodges is going to look for early and often in this game, in the passing game, it's going to be Deontay Johnson as opposed to Juju Smith-Schuster. So Deontay Johnson and Devin Singletary are my X-Factors in this game. And for key matchups, uh, I usually have it up front on both sides of the ball. Uh, Dia Dawkins and Cody Ford are a rather underwhelming pair of tackles, and they have to face arguably the most fearsome edge rush duo in the NFL this year in TJ Watt and Bud Dupree. Man, who saw Bud Dupree turning into a star all of a sudden in his fifth year after looking like an outright bust for much of his first four years? Yeah, he's come on really strong, and I think a lot of that comes down to the question is, is he playing that well or is the rest of the defensive line so good? It, you know, every 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 good front has that guy, right, who's having a really good career year and you're not sure how good he would be if you removed him from that situation. But I happen to think Bud Dupree is playing very well. He's finally kind of put it together and he finally realizes that the, football is his meal ticket, right? That's going to be what's going to make him his money. And that's a absolutely fearsome deal. And if they can force – Josh Allen to step up in the pocket and let their interior guys just kind of swallow him up. It's going to be a long night for Josh. Oh, that is a very, very good point. And, uh, yes, uh, with Cam Hayward on the inside and uh, when he was healthy, Stephon to it, that was arguably the most fearsome front four uh, in the National Football League. But uh, if uh, – and you almost uh, have to mush rush Josh Allen given the threat with his legs, though. Correct. you got to keep him in the pocket. And I think that's where Bud Dupree and, and T.J. Watt are going to be very important. 
that you can't get too far up the field, right, trying to beat the tackles because tackles will just let you go down the field because they know Josh Allen can step up and step around because he does have that vision as a runner. So what they have to do is they have to kind of contain him in the pocket and make sure he can't get out and make plays with his legs. And this matchup could be equally, if not more, decisive. You've got uh, David DeCastro and Marquise Pouncey, two elite interior offensive linemen that have been doing it for a long time against the Bills' stud rookie defensive tackle, Ed Oliver. And the Bills are going to do all they can to scheme Oliver away from those two, but I don't think the Steelers uh, are going to let him for a lot of the night. So, uh, Ed Oliver, if there is one player on that team that could uh, force uh, Duck Hodges into a mistake, I think it's Ed Oliver. Absolutely. We saw what, he, what Ed Oliver did to Dak Prescott on, on Thanksgiving, right? Just absolutely dominated that game. Uh, Ed Oliver coming into this year was my player three on my big board, right? I had Bosa, I had Quinn Williams, and I had Ed Oliver. And I think Buffalo absolutely lucked out when he slid all the way down to them at nine. Um, he, he had a little bit of a slow start to the year, but he's finally starting to put it together. And he's showing why I had him so high on my big board. Uh, look, they are going to do their best to double him. They are, but Buffalo's defensive front isn't full of slouches. They can't solely focus on him, hope to take him out of the game like you can do with like an Aaron Donald in L.A. where you take Aaron Donald out of the game and you kind of eh, – everyone else will kind of figure it out. Can't do that in Buffalo. Uh, I, I foresee him being the difference maker on the defensive line for the Bills. I do as well. And uh, who do you have winning Sunday night in Pittsburgh? It comes down to who do I trust more in – a primetime game under the lights. Do I trust Josh Allen? Do I trust Duck Hodges? I trust Josh Allen more. Duck Hodges, first time playing on national television in front of everybody. Huge amount of pressure on him. I think he folds at the wrong time. Bills escape with a narrow win. Duck Hodges did play in primetime in week six against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And granted, he didn't have to do too much that game because uh, the Steelers absolutely kicked the Chargers' butts in that game. But uh, it's going to be a very close game. It's a coin flip. But I just don't look at these two quarterbacks alone. I look at the teams. And who do I trust uh, more to come out with a win and make the key play at the right time? I give a narrow edge to the Steelers because of their experience and because they're at home. It's going to be very close. I would not be surprised if Buffalo won at all. But I am taking the Steelers 13-10. to 10. And now let's pick the rest of these Week 50 games. And starting with tonight where Lamar Jackson and the AFC-leading Ravens host the struggling New York Jets. Uh, yes, uh, the Ravens may be without Ronnie Stanley and Mark Andrews, but the Jets are also without Jamal Lanham's. Uh, this is pretty much a lock. Uh, Ravens, let's say, 33, Jets, 14. Yeah, that sounds about right. This is my lock of the week. The Ravens are taking this one. Yep, and uh, this is another candidate for a lock. The Patriots have a much-needed get-well game in Cincinnati against the Bagels. I think the Patriots absolutely roll in this one. And how hard do they roll? Stay tuned for my bowl predictions. Yeah, it, again, another another ho-hum, easy pick. Patriots over the Bengals. Uh, Dolphins at Giants. The Dolphins at 3-9 against the Giants at 2-10. Uh, they may be close record-wise, but the way these teams have played this year, I don't think it's close. I think the Dolphins actually have been playing much better football than the New York Giants have all season long. Saquon Barkley is clearly not 100%, and I trust Brian Flores to come up with a much more effective game plan than Pat Shermer. I have the Dolphins winning this game 20-17. to yeah, Eli Manning, Daniel Jones, I don't think it really matters who goes for the Giants here. I think it's what team is playing harder. And I think we saw Monday night when, when the Giants just let Philly come storming back and didn't have an answer and just couldn't keep any sort of momentum in that game. They just couldn't do it. Um, I, I have Miami. They're playing harder. Brian Flores, better coach than Pat Shermer. Dolphins take this one. 
Yeah, so the Eagles might have won that game, but it came at a pretty heavy price as they lost Elshad Jeffrey for the season, leaving the cupboard very bare for them at wide receiver. And uh, right tackle Lay Johnson, arguably the best in his position, is out at least this week with a high ankle sprain. And they travel to Washington to take out a Redskins team that played the Packers pretty tough last week. I have the Eagles winning this game, but I think it's going to be much closer than a lot of people think. Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. It's a division game. Eagles going on the road, and the Redskins have quietly been playing pretty good football, right? They'd won two straight before they lost very close to the Packers. They kept it close. Um, now, it, the quarterback is not taking the strides that you want to see, right? He's not being that guy. He's not taking that next step, but they do have some decent weapons. Uh, Darius Geis just went down on the IR. There's a lot of things going on, but I like, I like the matchup between the Redskins, defensive line against the Eagles offensive line and the Eagles they just don't seem to have it they don't seem to have it I'm taking the Redskins in this one oh that's your upset special and uh, not a bad choice at all and we got the Chicago Bears who to their credit have refused to lay down and die after the season could have gone totally off the rails in late October uh, still with a faint shot of making the playoffs, but they travel to Green Bay to take on the Packers at Lambeau. And if the Bears get Akeem Hicks back, uh, who they have sorely, sorely missed all season long uh, for this game, uh, I think this game is going to be much closer than people think. But at the end of the day, you got to go with the better quarterback, especially since he's at home. Aaron Rodgers of the Packers, I think they escape with another narrow 21-13 to win. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think the Packers come through. Um, the Bears, they, like you said, they've quietly been putting together a couple good weeks. I think that ends this week. I think they're about to play the best pass rush they've played in, in quite some time when the brothers Smith, Preston, and Zadarius go after Trubisky. And I think it's kind of kind of come. He's going to come. <laughs> excuse me. He's going to come crashing back down to earth. And I got the Packers in this one. I totally agree. And don't forget Kenny Clark in the middle there. He's just as important to that pass rush. Absolutely, absolutely. The Packers pass rush is pretty good across the board. And and the Bears, I just don't think they're going to have an answer for it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, winners of three straight, travel to Detroit to take on the reeling Lions who have come up short almost every single week this season. And I wanted to give the Lions a chance in this game, but after seeing David Blau last week, I just don't see it happening. It's going to be a close High-scoring game, but I have Tampa eking out another 27-24 win. Yeah, anytime you're down to your third quarterback, I mean, your season's washed. You're not going to be doing very well. I know we, we're talking about that, but the Pittsburgh Steelers just, they're the anomaly. You know, they're they're the exception. They're not the rule. The Lions are the rule. Um, they're down to third quarterback. They're not going to have a guy that can come up with that key drive at the end of the game. Uh, I, I have the Buccaneers winning as well. Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos travel to Drew Locke's hometown of Kansas City, Missouri to take on the team that he spent most of his childhood rooting for, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think uh, the Broncos are in for another reality check this week. Uh, yes, uh, they're not making the playoffs uh, regardless, but uh, they are are overdue for another experience in which they realize that they still have a ways to go, like uh, the Chargers and the Raiders do, to be fair, to catch the Chiefs in this division. I think uh, the Chiefs, with their defense, played a lot better as of late, and also with the Broncos uh, banged up in key areas on defense, the Chiefs uh, win an easy 31-13 to game. Yeah, I think this is going to be... I think a lot of people are coming in, they're looking at the way the Broncos played the Texans last week. They're thinking it's going to be a close one. I don't think so. I think the Chiefs... Returning back home after a narrow win where they tried to give it away against the Patriots, I think they learned their lesson. I think they're going to try and bury the Broncos early and often and try and put this one out of reach by halftime. I got the Chiefs big. 
Yeah, I do as well, especially since uh, the talent disparity between the Chiefs and the Texans, dare I say. I think the Chiefs are quite more talented than the Texans are, dare I say. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Chiefs are much more much more well-rounded. Um, the defense is playing, like you said, at a pretty high level. And then, of course, as good as Deshaun Watson is, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Agree there. The Seahawks say after that disaster in L.A., I think they got a much you get well game against the really Carolina Panthers. Uh, I don't think this is going to be close. Russell Wilson, Chris Koch, that entire offense going to run rough shot over that defense all day. Uh, uh, Seahawks win pretty big here. I, I've got the Seahawks winning, but I got to be in a lot closer. Look, the Seattle Seahawks do not travel well to the East Coast. It's been that way for a very long time. They don't travel well to the East Coast. It's an early game. I know Carolina is not an ideal team. They're not a great team, right? Ever since they got drubbed by the 49ers, everything has kind of gone into the toilet for them. I have them keeping it close, but Seattle is going to win. The Raiders in their final game in Oakland, and over the past couple weeks, they've been exposed as overachievers, especially given their um, uh, massive uh, point differential in, in the negative, that is, hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars, who this past Sunday became the first team since 1986 to lose five consecutive games by three scores or more. The Jaguars have rolled over and are have quit on Doug Marone. The Raiders are going to be playing pridefully in what is going to be their final game in Oakland. Raiders 45 to nothing. Let's say let's put that. Wow, that is bold. That is bold. I really consider making this my upset special just because the Raiders have been so bad to the city of Oakland and breaking their hearts at every chance they get that they would just roll over and not win this one against Jacksonville. But like you said, it's five consecutive games and 20-plus points. That is a brutal stretch. They, I have quit on Doug Marone. Uh, they're, they're rolling out Gardner Minshew, who I think is is not the long-term answer, but I, I'm glad they're giving him another shot to do this. Derek Carr has been playing with the yips. Again, he proves he can't play in cold weather. It's not going to be super cold. I like the Raiders win, but man, that's that's my who cares game of the week. The battle of two former number one picks and two former Oklahoma Sooners is Baker Mayfield and the Browns travel to the desert to take on Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. And I'm looking for an upset special. Uh, I'm going to go with this as my upset special with the Cardinals being the Browns. The Browns are not as good as their record would like to tell you they are. They are completely dysfunctional right now, and they barely got by the Bengals for crying out loud last week. And the Cardinals, if it weren't for some boneheaded Kyler Murray rookie mistakes, they would have come up with the upset over the Steelers. I like the Arizona Cardinals in this game, 24-20. to I like the Arizona Cardinals too. And, and as much as you said you know, the Browns aren't as good as their record says, the Cardinals aren't as bad as their record says. The Cardinals do not have a whole lot of wins, and they got a lot more losses. But that team is up and coming, and, and they are playing well. Like you said, they're they're taking their lumps with Kyler Murray, and it's going to be the best thing for them. They're going to get a high draft pick next year, and, and they're going to be I hope you know, hopefully they do something with it to surround Kyler Murray with some offensive linemen to help him out a little bit. But I got the Cardinals in this one too. I really don't believe in the Browns. I don't. I, I just. I think that whole team was just a victim of their own hype, and it's just this is going to be the culmination of it. Or just imagine the Cardinals pairing Kyler Murray with his former Oklahoma teammate CeeDee Lamb to replace Derek Fitzgerald. That would be crazy. I mean, again, if they just drafted like three wide receivers this year, eventually you got to start protecting your quarterback. Yeah, um, you if they, they paired him with CeeDee Lamb, that would be. That would be wild, and that would be fireworks down in the desert. Uh, it most certainly would, but the offensive line might be the more prudent choice for the Cardinals. The Chargers, could this be Phillip Rivers' uh, second-to-last home game 
as a member of the Chargers. They host the Minnesota Vikings, who are fighting with the Rams for that final wildcard playoff spot. I initially wanted to pick the Chargers as my upset special here, but they played the Jaguars out of all teams last week. And, and how bad are the Jaguars? Just uh, rewind a little bit, folks, and listen mm-hmm. to that stunning number I just uh, pointed out. But uh, the Vikings, uh, they have Adam Thielen back this week, and I think that is enough to make the difference. Uh, this game is going to be closer than a lot of people think, but I have the Vikings eking out a 31-24 to win. Well, you said that, that Philip Rivers is playing his possibly his second-to-last home game, um, and I have to disagree with that because oh, yeah. Philip Rivers played his last home game when they left San Diego. Totally. Um, he has not played. He has not played a home game in LA. Look, the Vikings are clearly the better team here. I know Kirk Cousins has a has a a reputation for folding. I think Zimmer has him locked in, and I think they're ready to go. I have the Vikings winning this one. Yeah, the uh, Los Angeles Rams traveling to. Jerry World to take on the team that I think is the biggest disappointment this season, the Dallas Cowboys. All that talent for nothing. And even worse, I think, just look at the way they played the Bears on Thursday night. It looks like this team has quit on Jason Garrett, even though a division title is somehow still within reach. Yeah, look, this one's very simple for me. Sean McVay outcoaches Jason Garrett, hands down, no questions asked. The Rams kind of have a little bit of their mojo back. They're getting some get-well games. They had a big win against Seattle. I think this is another get-well game for them. I think this is one where they go in and they roll the Cowboys. It's not even close. And by the way, he's not Jason Garrett. He's the clapper, as Michael Lombardi said. He doesn't coach. All he does is clap. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And about the Rams, look to their defense, man. Since Jalen Ramsey and Taylor Rapp entered the starting lineup in Week 7, the Rams are the first in the NFL in sacks with 30 and second in points per game allowed in 50.4. And if not for the Monday night debacle against Lamar Jackson, it would be 10.5 points per game. This defense is coming on strong, and the Vikings cannot take them lightly in the race for the final wildcard spot whatsoever. Rams should win uh, pretty easily, let's say 27-17. And your 49ers, fresh off that win over the Saints, they might have uh, lost uh, Weston Richburg for the season and uh, some other key players will be down this week, but... This is the week to rest those guys. They host the lowly, underachieving Atlanta Falcons, and I think Kyle Shanahan is going to want to make the Falcons sorry they let him go uh, again. And I think the 49ers win relatively easily, 37-21. to 21. I think you hit it on the head. This is Kyle Shanahan revenge game, right? He's been catching flack for that Super Bowl loss to the Patriots ever since he was hired by the 49ers. I think he wants to absolutely stick it to the Falcons, stick it to their fans, stick it to that franchise. I think the 49ers come out. Like you said, they're going to rest some guys. Richard Sherman's not going to play. I doubt we see D. Ford, Weston Richburg out for the year. But Ben Garland, a former ben Falcon. Garland, ben Garland and a former Denver Bronco too, man. Ben Garland uh, is also one of the best uh, NFL uh, class acts uh, there is. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, he's, um, I think he's a national, an Air National Guard veteran. Yep. Awesome dude. Absolutely. Uh, he stepped in and played very well for Western Richburg last week. Oh, that block 27. was insane. That block was amazing on that Incre- play. Incredible block. Incredible block. He had 27 dropbacks, and he gave up one pressure to the Saints defense. He played very well. I think this is a tune-up game for him. I think he starts to get in a rhythm a little bit. The offensive, the offensive line takes a little bit of lumps early, but I think they overcome him. 49ers roll. And on Monday Night Football, the Indianapolis Colts, who after that promising start are absolutely reeling right now, traveled to New Orleans to take on the Saints. I think the Saints should have no problem getting back on track here. And plus, uh, Drew Brees, uh, I think, sets the record for all-time touchdown passes this week. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. Look, Sean Payton, not happy about the way the 49ers game went. 
He didn't like some of the calls. He didn't like the fact that they lost. His butcher was giving him a hard time. Oh, absolutely. He goes to the the butcher, and the butcher starts busting his chops. So I think Sean Payton wants to come out and just absolutely smoke the Colts. They are spiraling. They're not sure what's up, what's down. I think the Saints just make everything a little bit easier for the Titans and Texans. And that concludes our Week 15 game predictions. And now let's go to our bowl predictions. Matt, what is your bowl prediction for this week? My bold prediction is that Debo Samuel is the new nice young thing for Kyle Shanahan. Kyle Shanahan wants to rub that in against his former team, against Julio Jones. Debo Samuel puts up Emmanuel Sanders-type numbers like he did against the Saints. I'm not saying he's going to pass for a touchdown, but I'm going to say he's going to have eight catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns against Falcons. That's not bold against that uh, atrocious Falcon secondary. <laughs> I don't think that's bold. But here is my bold prediction. And it may not be bold to some, but it might be bold to some. Tom Brady. More people are doubting him than at any stage of his career. He goes to Cincinnati and throws for 400 yards and four touchdowns in a must-even-get-well game for the Patriots against the Bengals. Okay, now you said mine wasn't bold. That is definitely bold because what we see from Tom Brady – recently suggested he can't throw 400 yards anymore. So I'm, I'm curious to see if you're right. I'm curious as well. And uh, let's go to our challenge flags. And Matt, what is your challenge flag for week 15? I am going to challenge the premier matchups this week. I'm going to pre- I'm going to challenge our two games of the week, right? Titans, Texans, Bills and Steelers live up to the hype. We saw some great games last week in some of those great matchups. Need to see it again this week. So, look, the NFL is counting on these games to be good, to draw eyeballs. Bills, Steelers, don't go out and stink. Texans, Titans, put it together, put together a great matchup. I'm excited to watch those games. Amen to that, brother. And my challenge flag goes to two teams uh, who have appeared to quit on their coach, the Jaguars and Cowboys. Show some fight. Just because the coaches like to get fired doesn't mean your job is safe either because what if the new head coach and general manager comes in and they decide that you're too too lazy and you don't fit the system or whatnot? Play for your job as well. It's not just the coach's job that's online. It's your job, no matter how tender you are. Nothing is guaranteed in the NFL. Show some fight, Jaguars and Cowboys, for a change. And he is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen, the co-host of the 4th and Gold podcast on Must Listen for 49ers fans and all NFL fans in particular. Matt, thank you so much for coming on once again. And that's it for today here on Sports We'll be back next week to preview week 16 of the 2019 NFL season, so stay tuned. In the meantime, though, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Matt Barr, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.